freshman, I get about 80 every year in the, the class and survey of Bible, and I go in, and the first three or four weeks, I don't even smile. And I am really tough on them. And I say, if you talk when I'm trying to talk, you're out of here, you know. And it uh, puts fear of God into them first, and then after a while, you can loosen up. But I found out if you loosen up at first, they'll eat you alive. So... Yeah. I have a question. Yes, sir. What? You were talking about the name of Dale. Mm-hmm. Would you go through that again? Yeah, that name. Okay. The name Baal or Baal. Uh, this was the god they worshipped. There were two two gods. There was Baal and Asherah also called several other names, Ashtart, or Astarte, or Isis. We get our word Easter from this. Uh, it's, it's the ancient word for the East. The people of the ancient, in ancient times worshipped the East because out of it the sun rose. And uh, so they, they, you know, the bunny and the eggs, it was all fertility cult worship. You know, Easter uh, comes right out of this word, Ashtart. Uh, and it's about fertility. So this is the female fertility god, and then this Baal is the male fertility god. And since Israel came out of a, a radical, idolatrous background in Egypt for 400 years, and you remember the first thing they did when they got to Mount Sinai and Moses wasn't there anymore, they built a golden calf. I love the excuse of Aaron. Remember that? I just threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Well, probably not. <laughs> but these were male and female deities. This guy here, according to the teaching of Baalism, was uh, not only the husband of Asherah, but he also was the husband of his own mother. And so it's really a fertility worship. It's a very evil, uh, polluted, sexual kind of worship. <laughs> exactly, same thing. They worshipped Aphrodite, which is also sexual worship. Most of the ancient world worshipped sex because it, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's it, it's sinful, but it's fun, and that's what that's what uh, when Israel went into the land, the people had cleansed all the idols out of Israel, and for about 150 to 200 years, after all the elders that knew uh, Joshua died, then they began worshiping these gods because these were fertility gods, and they thought we'll have better crops. You know, if we if we worship these gods, these these guys have been dug up, by the way. And uh, the male is very obviously male, and the female is very obviously female. It's gross. Okay. By the way, I want to thank everybody that sent me cards. That was really sweet. I got a bunch of cards, got a stack of them, and I hope you prayed too. So, thank you very much. Did I answer your question, Jim? Okay, I want to look at chapter 2. 
Yes. Then they get better crops. Yeah, yeah, get better wealth. In fact, they would, they would go out under an oak tree and have sex under an oak tree's shadow, or they'd go out into their gardens and have sex, so that they're in hopes that their garden would produce more and their, you know, they'd get more uh, crops. Uh, it, it's a strange thing. Isaiah two. 2 through 4 is the same thing as Micah 2, uh, I'm sorry, Micah 4. You'll see the exact same prophecy in both of these places, Micah and Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is the one who had the vision. Isaiah is the one who preached it first. He was a mentor. And Micah was his protege. And so Micah studied under Isaiah. And then Micah, Isaiah preached to the kings. And Micah preached to the farmers. In fact, Micah is the guy that said Jerusalem would one day be plowed up like a field, like a farmer's field. I don't know if you're aware, but the third time Nebuchadnezzar came back from Babylon to Jerusalem, he was so angry that he hooked up teams of oxen to plows and literally plowed up the streets of Jerusalem. Wherever there was a rock, his men would take it and tumble it down into the ravine around the city. And when the people came back after 70 years in Babylon, they couldn't find the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Haggai and Zechariah, when they come back, say, the people could not find the city because it looked like a, a forest up on a hill. They couldn't find it until they looked in the valley and found the rubble that Nebuchadnezzar had left there. And there's a lot more to that story uh, than what I'm telling you, but that's as much as I can tell you at this point. Isaiah chapter 2 is repeated in Micah, but Isaiah says it's his vision. Look at verse 1. It literally says, this is the word Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. The word translated word is event, thing, matter, and also word. So when a prophet sees something, see it says there he saw it. And the word that's used for saw is not your eyes. The word that's used there is the word for a prophet envisioning it, as a prophet would see. You know, he may have been looking up into heaven, and God showed him this vision. And so this is the word about the event. If I have any theory of inspiration of Scripture, it's connected with this. The event and the word are on the same level. In other words, what happens and what is written about it is on the same level. So this is the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And here we go. In the last days. When are the last days? That's right. Acts chapter 2, forward. 
is the last days. Cannot spell. The last days are Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost forward. He says, The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. The word mountain, first of all, in prophecy, the word mountain means kingdom. The Babylonian word looks like this. And it means both mountain and kingdom. And so what he's saying here is that the kingdom, in the last days, the kingdom of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the kingdoms. So the greatest kingdom of all. And the word translated temple is actually just the word house. So it's talking about the house of the Lord. I believe it's talking about the church. So... The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains. That means it's going to be the highest of all of them. The most important of all the kingdoms is the mountain, is the kingdom of God. Well, would you explain, some may not understand why Acts 2 forward is the last day. Uh, Acts 2, Peter quotes Joel 2.28 and following. And he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions and so on. The last days, according to Acts chapter 2, Peter says, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So when Peter spoke, he starts the last days. And that's when the Spirit was first poured out on everybody, even on women, even on young women, handmaids, servants, as well as men. The Spirit was poured out. Do you have a question? No, that, that, I, just, I thought maybe some might want to know what that means. Yeah, last days is the beginning of the church. From that point on, we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for a long time. In fact, 1 John says it is the last hour. Long hour. Uh, so God's kingdom will be the greatest of all the kingdoms. Now, how do I know mountain means kingdom? First of all, this word means both mountain and kingdom, this word right here. It's a picture. If you look down, it's like looking down on a mountain from the top. Maybe a volcanic mountain. And so the kingdom and the mountain are the same word. And Daniel chapter 2, I'll put that up here. Daniel 2 interprets the word mountain to mean kingdom. Okay, He tells us that. And so the prophets all knew this, that the mountain is the kingdom. And then look what it says. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Now, you've got to realize that the Hebrew word translated nations, it's almost like a bad word to the Jews. Get him? Good. We got those things in our house. Little moths are the hardest thing to catch. Well, this word nations is almost like a bad word. Hebrew word is goyim. And it means anybody not a Jew. 
And so what he's saying here is all nations will stream to God's house, which is the greatest kingdom that there is. It's too bad NIV chose the word temple to translate this word heka because it, it means a house, a big house. So God's kingdom and God's house is established and the best, most important of all the kingdoms and the nations, the Gentiles, will flow to it. Okay? Isn't that what we have today? Aren't nations, the Gentiles, people coming to the... Do you know that the church is growing at a rate of 70,000 people a day in the world? 30,000 people in one province of China alone every day. 10,000 people in, in the rest of China every day. And then India. The church is exploding in India against persecution. Uh, in South Africa, the church is exploding. Uh, 70,000 people a day becoming Christians, the fastest growing religion in the world. Islam is the fastest growing religion in this country. Uh, right now, probably about 1.5% of America is Muslim. And uh, mosques are sprouting up like mushrooms. You have one here? Probably have several. Uh, Islam is a... If the people would study their book, you know, the Koran... The Quran says that, that God will judge the world through Jesus Christ. The Quran admits that Jesus is the judge of the world. The Quran also calls us people of the book. Jews and Christians are our brothers. But when you get a little farther into the Quran, it says, death to the infidel. And so the, the, the followers of Islam today, many of them, the crazy ones, assume that everybody who's not a Muslim is an infidel, an unbeliever. When I meet a Muslim, I always tell them I'm a Muslim too. The word Muslim means to be in submission. Uh, I'm not in submission to Allah, I'm in submission to Jesus Christ. Most of them say we believe in Jesus, but they don't know what the Quran says and they don't know what Jesus said. They say, we believe Jesus is a prophet, but they don't get it. They don't understand. And we have to tell them. I have a friend who wrote uh, 20 Sunday school lessons for Muslims. Starts out with a lot of Koran and a little bit of Bible. And when you get to the end, it's all Bible. And it brings them from Allah to Jesus. His name is Don Tingle, uh, Cincinnati Bible Seminary. Excellent. Okay, so verse 3 continues with this. Now, verse 2 has already happened. The kingdom of God has been established. It's the most important of all the kingdoms. Verse 3, many peoples will come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob. So here are all these Gentiles coming in and saying, we want to learn about Israel's God. 
You know, Jacob is Israel. That's his other name. So let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go to God's kingdom. Let's go to the house of God. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. He will teach us. Who will teach us? The God of Jacob will teach us. The Lord will teach us. That's why we're here. That's why we're in church. That's why we go to church. Because we want to be taught by the, the Lord. He will teach us His way so that we may walk in His paths. It's not just about learning, folks. It's about walking. It's living the way we're supposed to live. And then this next line, it doesn't say the law. NIV, I don't know why they just insert words here and there, but it actually says a teaching. I did a study on the word Torah, the word here for law. Show you something interesting. Or maybe it's interesting to me. I don't know if it will be to you. The word Torah, which is the word law, this, this letter here is 400. This is the last letter of the alphabet. This one here is 6. This one here is 200. And this one here is 5. That's the numerical value of those letters. If you add them up, it adds up to 611. And that's the exact number of regulations in the Old Testament. That's why it's called the Torah, because it is 611. That's what it means. So Torah means law. But here, the word appears without the word the, without the article. And whenever you have no article on that word, it either means one of two things. Did a study on it, looked at every use of the word Torah, a lot of work, a lot of uses of the word law in the Old Testament. Two things it can mean when it has no article. With the article, it always means Moses' law, you know, the law God gave to Moses. Without the article, it either means a rule for the priest or the teaching of the Messiah. And here, it means the teaching of the Messiah. The teaching, a teaching will go out from Zion and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He, what's the he refer to? Refers to the word of Yahweh. The word of the Lord will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up the sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Now I want you to look at those three verses there, verse 2, 3, and 4. Verse 3, verse 2 is past. Verse 3 is present. What's verse 4? They will beat their swords into plowshares. Isaiah chapter 2. They will beat their swords into plowshares. They will beat their uh, spears into pruning hooks. See, each one of these verses, now you've got to remember, Isaiah writes this about 720 B.C. And 
he's looking into the future in this vision. And he sees something. The whole thing's future to him. You understand what I'm saying? Because in verse 2, he says, God will establish his kingdom. That's future. In verse 3, he says, the Gentiles will all come to it. In verse 4, he says, they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And there'll never be war again. Has that been fulfilled yet? No, it hasn't. Guess what, folks? This whole thing was future to Isaiah. But we have seen the fulfillment of verse 1 completed. Verse 2 happening. Is there any reason for us to doubt verse 4, the future? I should have said verse 2, verse 3, and then verse 4. So what I would suggest to you is that this, this prophecy has deep roots and it goes all the way back 700 B.C. to the time he saw it, and for him it was all future. And we've seen this, and we've seen this, but we await this. Notice what he says there in verse 4. He will judge, that is the word of Yahweh, will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares. They're spears into pruning hooks. They're going to take implements of war and make them into implements of peace. And they'll never learn war anymore. He's predicting here the end of all war. He's predicting peace. And then the verse right after that, he says, Come, house of Jacob, let's walk in the light of the Lord. See, that's the light. That's our that's our promise we have for the future. I know, I know kids, I know parents who have had kids go to... Have any of you had to send your kids overseas? Or have any of you gone overseas? Had to send kids to Iraq or Afghanistan? You know, we've lost almost 6,000 young men over there. Not as bad as some wars have been. But isn't it going to be a great day when war ends forever? No more war. No more training for war. No more sending people off to go to boot camp. It's all over. And that's what's predicted here in this verse. Any comments? I'd like to finish a little early every night and just see what questions or comments you have. Jeff. Um, you know, it's obvious in our day, God has changed the face of the world. He's changed. You remember the nation Rhodesia? It's gone forever. Zimbabwe now. And whoever heard of Bosnia and Herzegovina before 10 or 15 years ago? It was Czechoslovakia and other nations. God's changing things. I think when he when we toppled Saddam, uh, it's obvious that we have a great a great system of government. 
But I don't know that we can force it on a tribal culture like uh, Iraq and Iran. I just, they're not ready for that. I don't think the Jews would have been ready back then for this. Uh, tribal culture, I don't know if you know what it was like in this country uh, before the white man came. Uh, there was there was a uh, an empire here that was greater than the Roman Empire. It was ruled by the Iroquois, Canada and the Northeast United States. And everybody who's not of my tribe is my enemy. So you got the, the Apaches, you got Chiricahua Apache, you got different different kinds of Apache, you got Comanche, Hopi, all these different Indian tribes, or you know what we call Native Americans now, and all of them were at each other's throats. Tribal culture will never have peace, and so I think we should have gone in, toppled Saddam, and taken him to trial and let him settle. They'd have probably put up somebody else like him. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's the beginning of chapter 4 or not. I don't know whether um, God is actually starting to make judgments between the nations. I believe he is. But nobody's beating swords into plowshares yet. You know, they're still creating better and better weapons. We've got a guy in Nevada that can push a button and take out a convoy over in Iraq or Afghanistan. Have you seen the kinds of weapons we have? these unmanned vehicles up there, and they send pictures back. They call these guys that uh, create the, uh, what do you call the, the bombs they put alongside the road? They, they call them by some acronym. Anybody remember what it is? Hmm? IED, I think maybe that is it. And when they're creating these things, we have such vision that we can see those guys doing that. And uh, a guy, I saw this on TV, I think it was uh, 60 Minutes, a guy in uh, Nevada pushes a button and this unmanned vehicle shoots through the person and hits the bomb and explodes the bomb and kills those, they call them rats, the guys that create those IEDs. I don't even know what that stands for, incendiary device of some kind, but, or EID maybe. Uh, we have tremendous power, and I'm concerned that we use it morally and ethically. Uh, but the first part of chapter four may be being fulfilled through America. You know, God, God uses nations. Yeah, it could be, and certainly uh, the time will come when there will be an end to war. And Isaiah is not the only one that predicts that. Uh, the other prophets predict that also. Any other comments or questions? See, to me, these, these three verses show not only that Isaiah was able to predict the future, but it shows that God's prediction of the future is absolute. It's not going to change. Because verse 2 is already done. Verse 3 is being done. 
and I believe verse 4. There's no reason not to believe verse 4 is coming. How long? Till it comes? No one knows. Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, Of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven, nor even the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus doesn't know. We certainly don't know. Thank you for your time tonight. I hope that we can uh, become more and more excited about what this prophet's doing. He's getting the people ready for something great that's to come. And he sees Jesus, I believe, more clearly than any of the other prophets in the Old Testament. I think Isaiah is probably the greatest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Harold and for the leaders here. Thank you for all the prayers and the cards that were sent. And I pray that you will send us a great blessing this week as we spend time in your word. I pray that you'll speak to me and through me. And let your word penetrate our hearts and bring change in us. Father, help us not to be people who mouth empty words. We draw near to you with our lips, but our hearts remain far from you. Teach us and help us to repent. And through your Holy Spirit, Father, take this word and put it deep in our hearts. And change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.